Hey everyone, welcome to That You May Know Him, a podcast where we are committed to proclaiming biblical truth that helps you know Christ better than ever before. What's up, guys? This is Blake, host of the That You May Know Him podcast, and welcome back to Two for Ten, the show where we study the Bible one book at a time, one verse at a time. Today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where we're going to be introduced to three separate titles for Jesus Christ. They're very important, very significant, and they all correlate with three of his most significant accomplishments. It's all coming up today on 2 for 10. Let's get it going. All right, guys, as always, real quick before we get started, if you're watching us on YouTube, please do subscribe to our channel by clicking on the bell just to the bottom right of this screen. Also, if you're listening on our podcast, you should know this show, 2 for 10, is also available for your viewing on YouTube. If you're a YouTuber, you need to know about our podcast. If you're a podcaster, you need to go to our YouTube channel. Check all of our stuff out. Not all of our stuff is only on YouTube. A lot of our content is only in audio format. We drop new episodes of the podcast two, three, sometimes four days a week. So if you haven't seen it already, you're missing out. Go to our website. Click on the listen page. You'll find links to our show in every major podcasting app. Don't miss out. Also, last thing. Many of you know I co-authored a book with my good friend, Dr. Richard Cox. It's called Secularism, The Church, and The Way Forward. It was published by Whitfenstock Publishers, and it came out last week. It's available on the publisher website, and it's available now on Amazon. You can go to our website, whoa, thatyoumayknowhim.com, and find links to that book and all the different distributors. If you're a Christian living in the West, this book, it's important. It asks a lot of important questions about the future and the state of the church in the West. Is the church failed to be separate from the world or are we becoming more like the world and what do we do about it? Please do check it out if you're a Christian, if you care about the church, or if you're a churchgoer, there's something that's going to be in there for you. All right, let's get into the book of Revelation. All right, guys, today we are in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. I'm also going to read verse 4 just so we get into the flow of the context. We're still in the beginning of the letter. We're still in the initial greeting. This is still the salutation, the hey, what's up, the dear so-and-so, as we would have in one of our letters if it were being written today. But there's so much meaning in these verses. Let's check it out. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 go like this. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That was Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. All right, let's get into this. In the last episode, we talked about Revelation 1, 4, and we talked about how this title for God, this title that's given in Revelation 1, 4, him who is and who was and who is to come, is sort of a reference or an echo back to Exodus chapter 3 when God introduces himself by giving his name. Yahweh is the best way we can actually say the unpronounceable name of God. It means the eternal one, the I am who I am, the always. That's what God's name means. I am who I am and I will be who I will be. I am the always or the eternal one. The reason that's so important in this book is because this book is God revealing to us what happens in the end, at the end of the age. The only one who could do that is the one who sees it all before him in a moment. The eternal one, the always, that's God. We also talked about how the seven spirits before his throne is a reference to the Holy Spirit and to the seven attributes, the seven characteristics that the Spirit gives to those who are exercised by it and who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now we come to the third author of the letter of Revelation, the the letter to the seven churches. We've talked about how this book is unique because it's written by Jesus Christ, but it takes on the form of a letter, and the letter is sent to seven churches. So the seven churches would have opened this letter and said, okay, wow, this is a letter written by Jesus Christ, but it's not just from him. It's from God the Father, it's from the Holy Spirit, and it's from Jesus Christ. Now we get to the part in the letter where Jesus is introduced using these three very unique titles. It says in verse 4, from Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, verse 5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Look, these are all three incredibly significant, and they all correlate to something that he's done for us, something he's accomplished. We're going to get to that in a minute. That's verse six. What makes Jesus Christ a faithful witness? Well, you know, Jesus Christ is described all through the New Testament as a witness. In fact, he himself in the gospel of John, same John that was given this revelation by Jesus Christ and wrote it down. In that gospel, the gospel that John wrote, Jesus has a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he makes a remark. He says that he came to bear witness to the truth about God. He says, we only, we, meaning all of us, people can only bear witness to what they see and what they know. I'm the one who has seen and known God. I am the one who bears witness to the truth about God because I came from him. I was born from above. This is what Jesus refers to about, this is how Jesus refers to himself as a witness. In this book, he's also laying witness to the future and to what's going to happen in the future. So he's aptly, he's correctly referred to as the faithful witness. I'll have you know, this is not a small thing to refer to someone as a faithful witness, that they testify truthfully, that they tell the truth, that they they witness, and there's no deceit in them. We're going to meet someone else in this book, a human being, a martyr who Jesus refers to also using the same title, a faithful witness. We'll get there. That's coming up in chapter two. 
Jesus is also referred to as the firstborn from the dead. This is really simple. People had been raised from the dead before Jesus Christ. No one had been dead three days and three nights and was raised up by God to live forevermore. That's what makes Jesus the firstborn from the dead. He was resurrected never to die again because he defeated death the first time. When death tried to claim a sinless man, death got its tail whooped. Lastly, the ruler of kings on earth. Look, this is a title given to Jesus in the very beginning of the letter because it's going to be significant all throughout the letter. This is introducing one of the major themes of Revelation, the fact that Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. One of the main things that this book is about is about the fact that Jesus is on the throne. This book teaches us and encourages us to remember that no matter what we're going through in life, Jesus sits on the throne. No matter what you've endured, no matter what you've witnessed, no matter how bad things have gotten in history, I'm talking about the last 2,000 years now, no matter what evil despot or dictator is in authority, Jesus is more powerful than all of them. He is truly the king who is the ruler of kings on earth. Not everything is being put in subjection under his feet right now. He's still in authority. He's still the king when he returns. As the prophecy in Zechariah describes, Zechariah 10 through 12, 12 through 14, 10 through 14, and he touches down on planet earth, he will touch down as the king of kings and lord of lords, and he will exercise full authority. He will bring everything in subjection to him. Right now he's in authority, but he's not fully wielding every ounce of authority that he has. But make no mistake, he is the king who is above all kings. It's amazing that when Jesus was tempted in the garden, this is recorded in all four gospels. When Jesus was tempted, did I say in the garden? When Jesus was tempted by the devil is what I meant. In like Matthew chapter four, early on in his ministry, the devil told him, that he would give to Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth if he would bow down and worship him. Now, interpreters interpret that differently. Some think that the devil was lying. I think that the kingdoms of the earth had been delivered into the hand of the devil at that time. In fact, I believe the devil's still the god of this world, despite the fact that Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. But what the devil authored, offered to Jesus through deceit, through deception, through thievery. He tried to get Jesus to falsely worship him. Jesus earned for himself by living a righteous life, by walking in perfect union with God as Father, and by dying as a righteous man. Jesus earned the title, the ruler of kings on earth. Even though the devil tried to get it, tried to give it to him deceitfully and through thievery, the devil stole the kingdom from God, and Jesus Christ has won it back even though he has not yet subdued all of his enemies, he will. To him who loved us, okay, now we're going to look at how these three titles correlate to the three things that Jesus accomplished. We've got three titles followed by three accomplishments in Revelation 1, 5, and 6. It goes like this, to him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Jesus, first and foremost, loves us. Everything he did, he did 
being empowered by the love that he had for his people. I'm talking to Christians now when we say this. There's a truth in the fact that God loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But if you really want to know if you are loved by Jesus, then you have to belong to him. Jesus loves those who are his. In some way, Jesus loves the world because he gave his, he gave himself on behalf of the world, but he did it in order to ransom people, in order to save people, in order to reconcile people to God. And when you accept Jesus' offer and when you fully embrace him, you become not just one of the world that he loved in order to make that redemption possible. No, you become one who belongs to him. And if you're a Christian and you've ever had a feeling like nobody loves you or nobody loves me, I want to tell you right now, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are loved. He loves you. The next thing, he's freed us from our sins by his blood. This is talking about the power of the cross. What did Jesus actually accomplish for you and for me? It's not just eternal life in the future one day, although it is. He freed us from our sins here and now. If you're still struggling with sin, I strongly encourage you to think about this verse. And to probe your own heart and life and to ask yourself the question, if I have fully accepted what Jesus Christ has done for me, why am I still struggling? It's amazing that the man who wrote this, who actually wrote this down, John, was on the island of Patmos in chains. He was a prisoner because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And yet he was able to say, we're free from sin. Because John understood that the power of sin is way more powerful than human chains, than iron restraints. What has Jesus freed you from? If you're a Christian, I strongly encourage you to ask yourself that question. Some people can answer that really quickly. They know exactly what Jesus has freed them from. Some people have to work a little harder at it and really think about it. If you can't come up with anything that Jesus has freed you from, you might not have a testimony. So it's good to ask yourself that question. What have I been freed from through my faith in Jesus Christ? What sin has his blood liberated me from? It's a powerful, powerful thing. Lastly, he has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. Look, this goes all the way back again to the book of Exodus. When God told Moses, I will make the people of Israel a kingdom of priests. This is Exodus 19, verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is God talking to Moses. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. What is a kingdom of priests exactly? Look, there's a twofold meaning to priesthood. On one hand, a priest is someone who ministers Two people on behalf of God. We are ministers now of a new covenant. If you belong to Jesus, you're a minister of a new covenant. This is the promise that was first given to Israel. It still is to Israel. If you belong to Jesus, you have been, according to Romans, grafted into Israel. And we are ministers of a new covenant. We minister on behalf of God to the fallen world. But there's something else. It's also, the ministry of a priest is also Godward. It's Godward. You see, the priests were the only ones that could enter into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God. In Jerusalem, there used to be a temple. 
And in that temple, there were outer courts. There was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the Israelites. Jewish women could go so far. Jewish men could go a little further. But only the priests could enter into the Holy of Holies and commune with a holy God. Now, as those who have been freed from our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, as those who are loved by Jesus Christ, we not just get the privilege of being priests unto the world, we get the privilege of being priests unto God, of entering his presence and rendering him the service that he so richly deserves, and that is the service of our worship. That's what it means to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. Jesus Christ has made us a kingdom of priests, the body of Christ, the church. In Christ, we are all kings and we are all priests, but he's the king of kings and he's the high priest. Nonetheless, you as a priest on behalf of God and of Jesus Christ have the great privilege of not only declaring his name to the world, but of rendering service to God, of entering his presence anytime you want and giving him the service that he so richly deserves, and that is your worship. Not for what he does for you, but because of who he is, the one who is worthy of all our worship. My friends, that was Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is a letter written by Jesus Christ and from God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is a faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead, and he is the ruler of kings on earth. I hope that he also is the king of your own heart. Thanks for watching and listening. We'll be back next week for 2 for 10, part 5. We will get into Revelation verses seven, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Until then, I'm Blake Barbera signing off. Stay blessed. Live loved, and I'll talk to you next time on That You May Know. Know Him podcast is produced by That You May Know Him Ministries, Durham, North Carolina. You can visit our website at thatyoumayknowhim.com.